invite you to turn in your Bible with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. <clears throat> you note this is a, a bit of a longer psalm. I think it's the longest psalm that we've, that we've tackled yet. And it's a different sort of psalm. This is called an acrostic psalm. The structure doesn't come uh, from the content. There's not a progression of thought in the psalm. The, the, the structure comes um, that each verse begins with the, uh, the, letter of, uh, the next letter of the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. So the structure is, uh, is external, not internal. So um, what we're going to find as we go through this psalm, you're gonna, it's going to read a bit like the Proverbs. You'll have uh, um, just snapshots of truth and, and um, a variety of different themes running through, and then they'll repeat themselves. But there will be um, a sort of a unifying theme will be just encouraging believers living in a world where bad things happen and the wrong people win and uh, where, where wickedness seems to thrive and the righteous often seem to suffer, it's just encouraging a Christian, a believer, to live with faith in God, having a long view, uh, seeing the big picture, and specifically seeing God in the middle of the big picture. So we're going to read the whole psalm, and then we'll, um, we'll just hit some of those themes that we find running, running through the psalm. Beginning uh, then, Psalm 37 Beginning in verse 1, if there's any structure, the, verse, the first six verses seem to um, speak specifically of the activity of faith, and then the rest of the psalm, just things that we know to be true and that we take comfort in. Let's begin, verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers, uh, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb, and you'll, we'll find that theme coming back over and over. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Uh, I think another translation is feed on faithfulness. I think that might be better. Feed on faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. 
The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word to us. God in heaven, we believe that this word is inspired and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And Lord, we want to be trained tonight, so we ask your spirit to come. Uh, help us to delight in this song of praise as uh, you direct our faith and once again focus it upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. An English uh, author, I, um, I, don't, I don't remember his name, but um, once said, thinking about uh, those who uh, live as though God were uh, truly sovereign, uh, he said, I would rather face a whole regiment with drawn swords than one lone Calvinist convinced he is doing the will of God. There is something about um, people who believe in a sovereign God that gives a certain fearlessness and confidence uh, as they go about their life. And Psalm 37 is intended to give us that confidence, that courage, as we live in a troublesome world. It addresses a theme that we find uh, recurring in the Psalms. Uh, why, why is it that uh, God's righteous people, God's own covenant people, seem to so often have it so hard, while so many wicked seem to have it so good? Why do the wicked seem so happy and the righteous so often seem hounded? Now that might not be something that you've wrestled with recently. That might be something, not be something that you struggle with much at all. Partly because we have it really good. But if you're a Christian in the Middle East and you're being tormented by wicked men and loved ones are being captured and imprisoned and put to death and you're on the run, and you're trying to feed your kids uh, living in a refugee camp somewhere. 
because of wicked men whose intent was just to destroy. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything. Psalm 37 is going to be relevant to you. How do we make sense of the the reality of the world that we live in and the reality of the wicked thriving at times and so often Christians suffering? I read an article just this past week that, uh, of, of, of a man who is uh, still pastoring in Iraq, but who said the Christian church there is, for all intents and purposes, wiped out. In 2003, when the wars began, there were 1.4 million Christians there. And it seems as though it is, um, for the most part, gone. Why? Well, that's a question that maybe you don't struggle with in this deepest, profoundest sense, but it is, it is true that, that we face strains and stresses and trials that, that just perplex us. Why do uh, certain things just not seem to work? We're trying to live for the glory of God. We're trying to raise our family uh, according uh, to, to what we see in Scripture, and yet it just doesn't seem to work. Or the Lord allows terrible things to happen by disease or maybe some um, serious struggle with sin that is, that is threatened to tear our family apart. Uh, we're trying to honor God at work, and then and then we get betrayed, or or for what uh, something happens in the economy, and, and it all just disappears. And and w- why it doesn't make sense? We we want to use our gifts and and to provide for our family and have something to give to others and to support the church, and God just seems to be devastating those plans. Why? Why does it have to be so hard? Why is it so hard to understand? Plummer writes this, We should never deny that God's providence is mysterious. Not only do mercies and judgment often seem to fall without discrimination on both saints and sinners, but many a time the wicked seem to have much prosperity while the righteous are greatly afflicted. Let us not deny the facts, but let us not be perplexed by them. All will be clear in due time. And Psalm 37 is just meant then to provide clarity to our, uh, the lens through which we view life and interpret the events of life. Uh, Calvin famously said that Scripture is, is like a pair of glasses that you put on and, and suddenly things uh, become clear. You see things as they are. And Psalm 37 is, is meant to, to remind us and give us the ability to see things again, to see a God who actually is sovereignly in control, even though things don't, we don't, can't make sense of, of what's taking place, but a God who's faithful to his saints, a God who promises to destroy what is evil, to bring about a new heaven and a new earth, and to, give, uh, to bring us into that land, we inherit it forever. And so let's give our attention then to Psalm 37. It's really a call to live by faith. Now, as I said, it is a wisdom psalm. It reads like the Proverbs. And so you'll just notice these, these little uh, clips, clips of truth, these snapshots of truth. And I'm just going to, first of all, look at the activity of faith and then the awareness of faith. What does faith know? But first of all, the activity of faith, um, verses 1 through 6. 1 and 2 summarize uh, the main theme of the psalm. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Uh, Be not envious of wrongdoers. They will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Uh, Christians often have a fretting problem. Uh, To fret is uh, to be anxious, to worry, to fuss. 
Uh, there's, there's just turmoil inside. It, it suggests a lack of peace, a lack of calm, a lack of confidence. Um, usually the cause of fretting, if you think about what did you fret about this week? Well, usually it's some um, perceived uh, evil. Maybe you see somebody getting away with something that, that shouldn't go on and, it, and you fret or you, you are concerned about the direction uh, something's uh, going maybe at work or in your family or in the country and you fret. And we often have fretting conversations and we share our, our frets, the things that we are anxious about, concerned about. Well, um, David says, uh, don't, don't fret yourself. We live, we live in a world with awful headlines and, and where things really do fall apart at an alarming rate and, and where the foolishness of men is on full display over and over and the wickedness of men is right there to read. And David says, yeah, I know, but don't fret yourself about it. God hasn't called you to, to, uh, to, to enhance and further the, the kingdom by worrying about it. It's not by your might, not by your power, it's by the Spirit, right? God's going to do this, and, and, and God, we honor God by trusting that. So David says, don't fret. Notice it's a reflexive term, fret not yourselves. Fretting is something you do to yourself. We think we fret because of external circumstances. David says, no, uh, you do it to yourself. And they're, they're, therefore, the solution to not fretting, the solution is not changing the circumstances, is, which is what we try to do, but to change your perspective. We're looking, you see, at the wrong things, or we're looking at the wrong things without looking at the big picture. So there are commands here that David gives us to refocus our attention. Focus, he says, on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and be still before the Lord. That is the antidote, the, the divine prescription to cure fretting. You can know that when, when you are fretting, um, God is not in his proper place in your mind. Focus on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Fretting is failure to trust, isn't it? And this is the conscious decision of the will. Uh, Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. We, we talk to ourselves. If we have people who love us and who know us, they'll tell us this. What, what's going on? Put your hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's what David says. Take his word into your mind. What does he promise? What does he say? Take that to heart. Befriend or feed on faithfulness. I love that phrase. It, it, uh, you'll find it maybe at the bottom of your Bible. It's in mine. Um, one of the uh, other ways of translating the Hebrew there. Feed on faithfulness. I think the idea uh, that David has in mind is God's people living in the green pastures as God's flock. And, and David says, now eat Feed on the faithfulness of God. Nourish your soul with the fact that God has never once failed. Ever in the whole history of the world. Nothing has ever happened that God um, was unaware of or did not ordain and did not use for his ultimate glory. Feed on the faithfulness of God to you. That God has been kind to you and God has made promises to you. 
Live in, in the green pastures of God's, of, of God's truth and feed on his, on his faithfulness, particularly when you're tempted to fret, when someone um, betrays you or there's, there's some injustice that you experience. Well, yeah, that's the world we live in. That's the world God's called us to live in. This is where we do our pilgrimage. But God will not disappoint you. God will not betray you. God is always faithful. I think Lamentations 3 is a great um, um, just picture of what it means to feed on faithfulness as, as a, a Jeremiah is writing and he says, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have you ever had the experience of, of just being anxious about something? Fretting about something? Maybe being deeply burdened about something? And, and you can say, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. As I, as I go into this difficulty today, as I face this trial, as I deal with this, this hard circumstance, the, God is faithful. God is faithful. The thought is expanded in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord then. Trust in him and he will act. He will act. He promises to. Commit your way to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful that you can do that at the beginning of a day or when you face a trial? Lord, I'm, I'm going to commit this to you. The, the, the Hebrew here word can also mean to roll. And, and it's clear what David intends. You, you take your burden and you roll it off your back and you give it to the Lord. It's the same idea as 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now th this, is, this is nothing new. None of you are going, really, we can do that? And yet, isn't it true that we fail to do that? We hold on to the burdens. We nurture our burdens. We maybe even like to enhance our burdens, make, make a good story to, talk to, to tell someone. None of that is faith. None of it is helpful. None of it honors God. It honors God when we actually give it to him. Give it to me, he says. Commit it to me. Who's better suited to handle it than him? Who knows better what is best for you than him? Who's more reliable to do good for us than him? And so that's the, that's the cure Trust in the Lord, and then delight yourself in the Lord. We fret because we fear the wrong things. We fret because we fear losing things that we really like. We like reputation. We like comfort. We like ease. We like having our way. We like being admired, whatever. We like those things. We love those things, and when we sense that they might be lost, we fret. Well, if we loved the Lord, we wouldn't have to fret. When we make God our treasure, you see, when, when what we really want more than anything else is God, well, then we don't have to fret because the Bible promises that he'll give you that desire. I had a seminary professor tell me once, you can be as close uh, to God as you want to be in the sense that if, if you want to have an intimate relationship with the Lord, he's, he's there, he's willing, he's ready, he's waiting, he's, he's calling, he's inviting. And so go to him. 
God calls us to the freedom of a new affection and then to be still before him, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And that's, uh, that's a theme that will run through the rest of the psalm, this, this waiting on God. And we wait on God, um, not passively, but, but actively living in the confidence of the things that we find here. So, so I'm just going to hi- highlight some of the themes here. Um, the things that give us reasons to wait patiently. Uh, things that we know because we believe and we have the word. There are four things I'm going to mention, the themes that we'll touch on. Uh, you belong to God. The wicked have no future. You're an heir of heaven, and the Lord will hold you fast. Uh, you belong to God. Those are things that we know. The wicked have no future. You are an heir of heaven. The Lord will uphold you. Now, I won't mention, I'm not going to pull all the verses that hit these things. You can do that when you, when you uh, maybe look at, over this later. But, but look at this, verse 25. I've been young and now I'm old and have not yet seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God cares for his saints because they belong to him. Uh, verse 28, the Lord forsaketh not his own. His own. Isn't that a wonderful uh, thing to attribute to you? You're one of his own. Now, this doesn't mean that God's children never suffer. They clearly do. In fact, Paul will say in Romans 1, we're like sheep, in Romans chapter 8, we're like sheep to be slaughtered. Jesus said the world's going to hate you. They're going to they're put you to death and put you in prison. So how can David said, I've never seen the, the righteous um, forsaken or his children begging for bread because the righteous never are forsaken. It's true. They're never forsaken. Persecuted, Paul will say, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but not abandoned, not forsaken, perplexed but not crushed, we're not in despair. God is sufficient and faithful. Nothing is ultimately lost. David said, I've, I've noticed this throughout my life. I've been young and now I'm old and, and this is just what I've seen to be true. Plummer says, let old people make it their business to tell what they've seen of God's wonders and providence and grace. They cannot be better employed than in thus commending the loving kindness of the Lord to the rising generations. To be a Christian is to belong to God in Christ, and the Lord forsaketh not his own. That's something that faith needs to lay hold of. It gives us reasons for patience in a troublesome world. God doesn't forsake us. Let the old share it and talk about it. One hymn writer says, the Lord forsaketh not his own. He hears their feeblest cry. The orphans wail, the widows moan, the weary pilgrims sigh. Have faith in God and trust his love who heeds the sparrows fall. The tender care of him above who knows and orders all. You belong to God. That's what faith knows. That's what faith claims. And God forsakes not his own. Secondly, the wicked have no future. In just a little while, they will be no more. That shows up throughout the psalm. Verse 2, verse 9, verse 20, verse 35 and 36. Over and over, the evildoer is going to, is going to be cut off. And in a while, the wicked will not be anymore. I saw a man, he says, uh, just spreading like a green laurel tree. And, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. And though I saw him, he could not be found. And friends, this is the history of the world. Every wicked man who's, who's risen up and oppressed God's people, um, where is he now? Where is uh, Antiochus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a, a, such a, a wicked, wicked man before Christ was born? 
Where, where, where is he now? You can't find him. Where's, uh, where's Hitler now? And all those, those men that were around him who, who did such wicked, awful, awful things. Where, where are they now? No, they're in hell now. Uh, their, their plans came to naught. He was going to build a thousand-year reign. He's gone. The wicked perish like smoke. They vanish away. They have no future. Verse 38, 37, Mark the blameless man. Behold the upright. There is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors, transgressors shall be utterly destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. See, this is just something to keep in mind. We live in this wicked world, but this wicked world is not going to go on forever. And the wickedness is not going to win. It's not, it's not going to triumph. And, 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 and that helps us. We deal with it. Uh, Psalm 73, Asaph wrestles with this. I, I was envious when I, when I saw the wicked and, and how well they do. But, but then I entered the house of the Lord. And, and, and what did he learn in the house of the Lord? He says, then I discerned their end. I looked at it from the big, the big picture, the big view, and, and I saw what their end is. Verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. The next time you envy the wicked, remember that. Why would you envy someone who is so utterly lost, has, has no hope, has no future except eternal condemnation? What? How, how could we envy people who are rushing on their way towards everlasting destruction? Spurgeon said, evil men, instead of being envied, are to be viewed with aversion, yet their loaded tables and gilded trappings are too apt to fascinate our poor half-open eyes. Who envies the fat bull of the ribbons and garlands which decorate him as he is led away to the butcher shop? David says, friend, this is, this is reality. This is God's reality. This is the big picture. Do not envy the wicked. Do not envy people who have it all because they have nothing if they don't have Christ. Better the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Better, far better. Why? Because what the little, the, the, the little that the righteous had is going to explode in an inheritance in a new heaven and a new earth. You are an heir of heaven. Over and over in this psalm, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land, verse 9. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I love that verse. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Lavish, overflowing, over-the-top peace. Shalom. Life as it ought to be. They will delight themselves. This is the verse Jesus quotes in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Why? Well, because they inherit the earth. They get everything. You can, you can just almost sense the Jewish audience listening, recognizing Jesus' reference here, Psalm 37. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And maybe in the minds of the audience, the people are thinking, and they will delight themselves in abundant peace. That's what God promises. Those blessed by the Lord, verse 22, shall inherit the land. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. That's a wonderful perspective when we're tempted to fret. Harry Ironside says this, all the heaven the wicked are ever going to know they get in this world. Think of that. 
all the heaven the wicked are ever going to know, they get in this world. A nice house, nice car, nice vacations, nice restaurants. That's it. But he says this, all the trouble God's saints will ever know, they will get here. In heaven, there will be only joy and peace. All the trouble God's saints will ever know, we we get here. But then we get eternal joy, eternal, abundant peace. That's a great perspective, right? Isn't, isn't that why, how the saints endure when, when we realize that these, are, these troubles, Paul will say, are light and momentary in light of the all-surpassing glory that's going to be revealed to us? It, that's exactly the perspective a Christian has. This is hard. It's heartbreaking at times. It's overwhelming at times. It, we feel like we're being crushed at times. But this is all the hard we get. And the hard that we get here, even God promises to use for His glory, for our good. He promises to do it. We don't know how, we don't see how, but that's His promise. And in the excruciating hard places, we can comfort ourselves, this will pass. And one day, uh, we are going to inherit the land. And, And when we inherit the land, we're not going to wonder why or think that God has failed in some way. I think Tim Keller has said, and I won't get it exactly right, but he said something along the lines that, that when we're in heaven, we will, um, uh, look at my, let me get it. Um, if, if we knew what God knows, we would, we would ask for exactly what God has given to us. I, 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 that's not the right way of saying it, but, but that uh, God only gives us the things that we would ask for if we knew what he knows. That's an exact quote. <laughs> right? That, that's pretty good. Uh, if we knew what God knows, we would pray for everything that God is giving to us if we knew what God knows because he's sovereignly in control. And finally, the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord upholds the righteous. This is our confidence. The arms of the wicked, verse 17, shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord upholds the faltering feet and makes the weak securely stand. The burdened ones bowed down with grief are helped by his most gracious hand. It's precisely, you see, because the Lord upholds us that we can have confidence in the midst of a difficult, wicked world. We have confidence because God is our God and and God does the work of salvation. If you notice, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, 39. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them. The Lord delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked men, from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. God does the work. That's the beauty of it. That's why he gets the glory for it. And we know that God is going to do the work, verse 28, because God loves justice and God has has made our salvation a matter of his justice. The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. For God to forsake his saints would be for God to act unjustly. He loves justice. Our assurance is 
that our salvation, our eternal victory, our possession of that new heaven and that new earth, which is just around the bend, it's not very far away. Life is just speeding by like that. We're, we're almost there. We're almost there. And it's all ours in Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, it would be unjust for the Lord to allow us to be lost. Blood has been shed, atoning blood, and, and a declaration has been made that those who belong to Christ are just and righteous by virtue of Christ's life and death. And that God then honors his son. He's going to honor his son. None of those who belong to Christ are going to be lost. None of them. Friends, this is what faith sees. And faith, seeing this, then relies on it and commits to it, delights in it, trusts in it. A great example of that of a young woman, Cassie Burnell, you know her name, 17 years old. She wrote this in her journal the night before she died. She says, honestly, I want to live completely for God. It's hard and scary, but totally worth it. The next morning, before she went to school, she underlined this paragraph in her devotional. It says this, we can only win our lives when we live faithful to the truth that every little part of us, yes, every hair, is completely safe in the divine embrace of our Lord. When we keep living a spiritual life, we have nothing to be afraid of. And later that day, a young man put a gun in her face and said, do you believe in God? And Cassie Brunel said, yes, I do. It was the last word she spoke on this earth. She had confidence, you see, in her sovereign God. That's what faith does. It's how faith lives. It's how faith acts. Let me just ask you this as we close. What would change in your life if you remembered and rested in the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God? What would change in your attitude? What would change in your schedule? What would just change about your person? I would suggest there'd be less fretting and more thanksgiving. More being overwhelmed by the goodness and kindness of God. There'd be less regrets and more anticipation as you look forward to all that God has for you in Jesus Christ. All that is yours because of God's love and his faithfulness to you. Plummer says this, while the world is in an uproar concerning things that are vain and fleeting, the meek are quietly passing through this earth to heaven. May we be that. Quietly for the glory of God living our life as we make our way to heaven. And one day soon we'll be there. Let's believe it. Amen. Father, you know how often we worry and fret. We want our way. We want our timetable. We want our dreams. We want our rights. We want our comfort. We want our, our peace, our reputation. Oh, God, forgive us for wanting these things more than Jesus. And forgive us for denying our faith by simply acting as though it, it wasn't true. Oh God, I pray that Psalm 37 would, would resonate with our spirit and, 
And we would be people this week who call, recall it and, and commit our way to God, rolling our burdens onto Him. And when it's hard and overwhelming and heartbreaking, when it's scary, I pray that we would take comfort in knowing that we are never more safe than, we, than when we commit our way to you, when we trust in you, and when we wait patiently for you to act. So Lord, help us to honor you in our faith. Help us to see life through the lens of Scripture, to, to see our, the events that happen to us, even the mundane things, as from the hands of a sovereign, loving, faithful God. And then to be thankful there, to be content there, to be quiet there as we make our way to heaven. Father, bless this word to us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to.